Welcome to AEM Early Access, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. Procedural sedation is in the toolkit of every well-trained emergency physician, and research into procedural sedation is still a growing area of interest. Today we're talking about a new AEM article entitled Procedural Amnesia and Respiratory Depression Between Moderate and Deep Sedation with Propofol in the Emergency Department. First author Dr. Alexandra Schick is currently an emergency medicine resident here at Brown with us, so we were thrilled that the editors picked this article to cover. But this research was conducted with her team at the Department of Emergency Medicine at Henneman County Medical Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Dr. Schick's academic interests include critical care and ultrasound research and medical education, and she plans on specializing in critical care medicine. She's being interviewed today by Dr. Jordan Cohen, a PGY4 emergency medicine resident here at Brown and one of Dr. Schick's co-residents. Be sure to read the full text of this article available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the AEM podcast. Uh, today, we have Dr. Alexandra Schick from Brown University Emergency Medicine Residency, and I'm actually going to call her Allie because I've been doing residency with her for the past couple of years. So uh, thank you, Allie, for taking the time to be here and talking about your paper today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this paper with you, and I'm excited that we're going to get to talk about how fun this study was to be a part of. So what got you interested in the topic of procedural sedation that is discussed in the paper? So I started doing research when I was an undergraduate student at University of Minnesota. I was a research associate, and so I was collecting data for a bunch of different studies. Some of them looked at sedation. These started to become my favorite studies to be a part of. It was fun, dynamic research. We looked at different topics such as ketamine versus propofol and using ketofol. And it was research where I got to collect data at the bedside and watch how patients reacted to our interventions and kind of explore this topic more. I feel like procedural sedation is one of the most interesting things we do in emergency medicine where we can affect amnesia and can basically do very painful things to patients that they don't have any recall of, but they are able to get through that safely. Great. So you did talk about using Ketofol, which is something that's been coming up in the literature a lot and people use it a lot. Um, I use it a lot in my practice. So why did you decide to use only propofol in this study? So at the institution that this study was performed in, which is Hennepin County Medical Center, Propofol was the preferred agent and still is for the majority of their procedural sedations. It's a drug that they've done multiple studies on over the years, and they you know, obviously still use ketamine as well, given that they've investigated ketamine and ketofol, but they tend to like the predictability that propofol has had, and they have steered towards that more so. But you know, I think that both drugs I enjoy using in my practice, and I feel like they have different purposes and different patients that I like to use them in. Are you interested in looking at the same study with ketamine in the future? I think it would be a really interesting study. And I, I know that you know, being a research associate and collecting data on studies where we did use ketamine, we do see a lot of similar respiratory depression as I described in this trial. And I think that it would be interesting to get the kind of data that we acquired for this study for ketamine, because I feel like we would understand how it actually affects patients better. And it would be interesting to see if it was different than propofol. 
For those who uh, are not familiar with the study and the study design, can you just briefly go through uh, the study design of the paper? Yeah, so the big question for the study was trying to figure out, is there a difference in respiratory depression and amnesia in patients when you're targeting either moderate sedation or deep sedation? Trying to figure out how to assess for memory in patients is a really difficult thing. Uh, It had been looked at one time before at our same institution at Hennepin County, and they had done verbal prompts. Uh, We tried to think of a way that we could make this a better design and how we could try to get more information about subtle memory formation, like recognition of something, rather than having to fully come up with whatever prompt you are given during a study. So the study design basically is looking at patients that are randomized either to moderate or deep sedation as a target for the initial sedation and looking at their respiratory depression as well as their amnesia. For amnesia, we were utilizing research associates that showed images on cars, and they would start showing these images a few minutes before the sedation drug would be pushed so that we had a baseline memory formation and would detect when they started to lose their formation of memories. Then we would continue showing images throughout the sedation until they started getting back to their baseline mental status. And then 10 minutes later, the research associates would come back and they would ask them first, do they recall any images? And then we would record whatever pictures that they remembered seeing. And then they would get a quiz where they could answer a multiple choice quiz about the pictures and see which ones they recognized and which ones they didn't. At the same time, there's a different research associate that was collecting data about the patient's vital signs, noting any significant abnormalities as we were going through, as well as any interventions that the physicians performed, such as giving additional doses of drug, any jaw thrust, bag valve mask use, or uh, stimulation, either physical or verbal, for patients to breathe or increase their respiratory effort. So at the end of the day, we combine all that data and then look to see, you know, did patients achieve the targeted sedation goal? And then who had more respiratory depression and who had more amnesia of the procedure? What were the major findings of the study? So the big finding, I think, is that when you randomized patients to a target of either moderate or deep sedation, our primary endpoints were not significant. So either way, patients had about the same amount of respiratory depression, there were no serious adverse events, and they had about the same amount of amnesia. When you broke it down a little bit more, people that were randomized to the deep sedation target tended to have a higher incidence of needing more than one intervention to stimulate them to breathe, and had an overall larger number of these interventions that occurred. So it kind of leaned towards the fact that targeting deep sedation might increase your predilection for having more respiratory suppression. We broke down the data by, you know, whether or not the patients had actually achieved moderate sedation or if they had achieved deep sedation. And when we looked at it that way, there was a definite difference between the two groups uh, in terms of the amount of adverse respiratory events, as well as a slight increase in the amount of images that they recognize. So it appears that there is some difference there between the two groups. But when you choose the target at the start, it's very hard to predict exactly what type of sedation level you're going to get. And often you're going to end up a little deeper than you were thinking you're going to get. Was that something that surprised you? It was interesting to see that in the paper that even patients who were supposed to get moderate sedation ended up getting deep sedation. And and, uh, did you expect that? Did that sort of 
change the way that you design the study or the the, the um, data analysis going forward? So I knew that that was going to be a potential difficulty. We did talk to the physicians that were practicing at the time and kind of talk about different strategies about how they could possibly, you know, get moderate sedation versus deep sedation and trying to go slower because in the prior study, there were a lot of patients that did achieve deep sedation when they were trying to get a moderate level of sedation. But what I was more surprised about, honestly, was that the fact that it was not dose-dependent at all. It was entirely patient-dependent for both when we looked at the randomization groups, those that achieved moderate or deep, that didn't really depend on how much of the drug they actually got. It was, seems like it's more of an intrinsic quality of the patient, that they some people react much more strongly to the medication than others. What were some of the limitations to the study? So I think one of the limitations is that a lot of how we designed the study and achieved these two different groups was based on subjective decisions by the physicians that were treating these patients. But I think that's actually an important part of the study design because that's how we would do this in real life in the emergency department is that we would look at a patient and say, I think we can achieve a moderate level of sedation and that would be good, or this patient should achieve a deep level of sedation. So we have that concept going in and that we don't have any good evidence to really guide us to tell us how much drug we should give and how fast we should give it to achieve those goals. So I think that it was reasonable to tell the physicians, this is what you're supposed to get, do your best to get there because that's how it's done in real life. So, um, other you know, issues is that we're using a visual memory prompt, and as we all know, anyone who's performed a procedural sedation, a lot of the time the patients have their eyes closed. We did have some very energetic research associates that tried their best to get the patients to open their eyes if they were capable of doing that, but there definitely were periods of time where we weren't getting good amnesia data because we couldn't get the patient to look at the prompt we were trying to provide for them. That being said, you know, the in the study done before with verbal prompts where you could just say a word to a patient, anytime the patient was not able to repeat that word back to you, they did not have recall of that word. So I think we didn't miss too much of time where patients would have been recalling things during the procedure. How has the study changed your practice in the emergency department? So based on this study, I in general, have a lot more respect for propofol and the fact that it can cause a lot of respiratory depression. Just the numbers that we were able to see of how many times people have significant changes in their end tidal numbers, they lose their waveform, they need some sort of intervention to get them to breathe better, has made me cautious when I start using the medication. I tend to not use the full one milligram per kilogram dose as a starting bolus that a lot of people do. I kind of start at 0.6 to 0.7 mg per kg and kind of give smaller aliquots from there. And I feel like I can control a little better where patients end up. But as we all know, some people need a ton of propofol and some people the 0.7 mg per kg is enough to make them apneic. So what surprised you about the results of the study? I think the most surprising part was really just the fact that this drug was so unpredictable and the fact that we give it, we don't really know how a patient's going to react to it. One of the other surprising things that we found during the study was there's these periods of time where patients will have their eyes open and they seem like they're completely not with the picture, they're not talking to you, they can't answer questions, and we're showing them pictures, and then sometimes those patients will get these large strings of the multiple choice question quiz at the end correct when they were seeing the picture. So there's some sort of subconscious processing of some of these images that they don't think they remembered anything. And I would even ask them, 
do you think you're getting these questions correct? And they said, no, I don't remember anything. I don't know why you're making me fill this out. And they would end up getting these large strings correct on the quiz, which I thought was just fascinating. Maybe just fascinated in general about how we form memories and how these drugs work. What are some of the next steps for your research? So I think the next steps for research in this arena would be, one, to try to do a similar research design, but then randomize patients to different dosing strategies of propofol to see if we could better hone in on targets of moderate versus deep sedation, to see if we can better delineate how we could get people to the sedation target that we really want them in and get them there more reliably. I think it would be important to look at the, both the amnesia and the respiratory depression again with this to make sure that we're keeping patients safe with the different dosing strategies as well as making sure they have good amnesia for these painful procedures. I think also looking at different drugs would also be a helpful thing such as looking at ketamine or automidate to see if they perform any differently here and if they might be an easier drug to manipulate to figure out if we can get patients to a moderate or a deep sedation level easier with one of those agents and if they have the same respiratory depression profile that we saw here with propofol. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today and to our listeners and good luck in your future research. Thanks so much for having me, Jordan. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. Don't forget to hit the full text of this article available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.